We're in 2 Corinthians this week and next week. And uh, if you've looked for a job in the digital age, you're probably familiar with monster.com. Monster.com is kind of like the clearinghouse of resumes and jobs, even though no one uses it, right? But you're supposed to use it. Well, you may not know this, but in the ministry world, there's a similar portal. It's called churchstaffing.com. So if you're on staff at a larger church, right, the the IT guys will know if you've been quietly searching at churchstaffing.com. And you'll have to go into the executive pastor's office and it'll be like, Denise, uh, what's the deal? Are you unhappy here? I've pulled two job descriptions from two churches that are smaller than 750 in attendance who are looking for a senior pastor right now. And and here's what they're looking for. So here's the first church. And the stuff at the top, right, that's cool. Clear testimony is saving faith, acknowledges the inerrancy of scripture, models an irreproachable Christian character, enthusiastically demonstrates a strong relationship with Jesus. We would say, sure, ah, spot on. Let's keep going. Meets the biblical qualifications. Okay, agrees with our church's statement of faith. Is dynamic and engaging with a chemistry that fits the culture of this church. Desires to challenge the church and stir them to a deeper faith. Is an experienced and gifted in preaching and teaching. Knows how to discern and deliver biblical truth in a culturally relevant way that points people to a vibrant walk with God. Some of you are already laughing. Strong missional and ministry leader who effectively nurtures, motivates, and leads senior staff. Is enthusiastic and motivated to cultivate church growth. In other words, when we hire you, we better not shrink in size. Um, Models love for personal evangelism and is making fully devoted disciples. So in addition to all this visionary stuff you're doing with us, you're out in the community winning lost people over to the Lord. Is technologically and socially media savvy. Um, Has a deep desire to cultivate next generation leaders and is consistently raising them up and deploying them in leadership. Gifted in preaching. I believe they said that, didn't they? I think they really mean that you need to be experienced and gifted in preaching, okay? Proven and experienced lifestyle. So here's another church, okay? And, and so they, they list some things about experience. And then again, visionary leader, uh, personally committed to follow and apply biblical principles and possesses a high level of integrity guided by a sound. In other words, you're not gonna steal us blind and you're not gonna get caught in a moral failure. And then it goes down, strong relational skills, infectious love for, for people, uh, possesses a worldview and core values that match others held by the church. Proven record of being a self-starter, goal-oriented worker with the ability to recruit, retrain, and equip leaders demonstrates a high capacity of leadership and the ability to train others, a gifted communicator. Are you picking up on this now, right? Okay, so there's just two jobs that are open right now at churchstaffing.com. If you changed a few words in these job descriptions, they could easily apply to a hospital CEO, a superintendent of schools. Uh, It could easily refer to a community bank president, right? Just change a few words. Take out Jesus and put in some other things and boom, there you go. Um, In America, we're enamored with this kind of leadership. And I wanna talk to you today about true and false leadership. But in order to do that, I need to talk about the three C's first, right? So when when you're hiring in an organization, uh, when you're talking about leadership, you'll often hear people talk about the three C's. Character, competence, and chemistry. Character is who you are. It's passion, it's integrity. You either have it or you don't, right? You're either a person of integrity or you aren't. Um, Competence, this is what you can do. Can you hit the ball? Um, Chemistry, do you fit with us? 
okay? And so America and a lot of American churches kind of ignore character and we want people who are extremely competent and fit well with us. And so what happens in church settings, right, is you can be a phenomenally gifted communicator and more and more people wanna hear your communication and you get to a point where your competency, your giftedness outpaces your character. And what happens? You end up in moral failure a lot of times, right? Because your, your, your competence has exceeded your character. And, and this plays out, right? It's the stereotypical coach of your sports team. Oh my goodness, they're great with drill, drills. They have a winning season, one season after another, but they're a hothead and they demean players incessantly. It's the pastor who's a gifted communicator, draws huge people to their services, but at the end of the day is only interested in, in getting to the next biggest place. There's a church in Lexington who hired in, a, and I won't tell you their name, hired in a phenomenal communicator. The church borrowed a lot of money, and then an opportunity presented itself in another market, and he was gone. And they were left with their tail between their legs, with millions of dollars in debt going, whoa, this hurts. And if you talk to some of the people that were around at that time, this is what they would say to you. He used us as a stepping stone. He didn't care about us. What kind of shepherd is that, right? And I see this play out all the time in churches, in schools, in businesses, in teams. And here's the deal, gang. In the church, in the church in America today, we use power the way the world uses power. And because we use power the way the world uses power, the church in America has no power. We use power the way the world uses power. And because of that, the church in America has no power. There's a very dangerous book that I read last summer, which is why I'm in 2 Corinthians. Uh, this, this, it's called The Way of the Dragon or The Way of the, the Lamb. It's written by two people who aren't famous for anything, which is great. And in the book, it's basically a book on how does the church use power? And is the church's use of power consistent with what we see in the life of Jesus and the earliest followers of Jesus in the first century? Um, and here's a quote right from the book, okay? And I wanna read this to you. Our feet are trained to find paths of self-achievement and self-glorification. We use our vocations to build significance. We use our relationships to get ahead. We spend our money and our time trying to gain more power. And because we're prone to waywardness, prone to walk in the path of pride, self-sufficiency and power, we need the church to ground us in Christ and his way. We cannot live in Christ's way on our own, okay? They're telling us something that I think we need to hear. And so here's my bottom line today, in case you fall asleep. True leadership, true leadership is unimpressive and is always about the benefit of others. False leadership, <whistles> false leadership causes you to go, wow. False leadership is impressive, but at the end of the day, self-serving. And therein lies the difference. Therein lies the difference. Right? Remember the ads I just cho showed you from churchstaffing.com? Those ads could have been written from the church at Corinth. 
If the church at Corinth were alive today, like they would have written those kinds of ads. That's what they were looking for in an apostle and in a pastor, all right? So I wanna talk about Corinth for a little bit. In the Roman Empire, the top three cities were Rome, Alexandria, which was in Egypt, and Corinth, which was in Greece. Uh, Corinth was known as the master of the harbors. Uh, it was also known as the passage for all mankind. Isn't that a passage for all humankind? Whoa, Corinth, you come through us. Um, they were a new city, and because they were a new city, they didn't have the landed gentry money that passed on from generation to generation. All of the moneyed people were new moneyed people in Corinth. And so uh, they, they kind of had a pull yourself up by your bootstraps way of thinking about it. You know, I'm here because I'm smarter and faster than the rest of them. Um, and so if you were rich in Corinth, you were important. Well, in AD 50, Paul visited this town and he started a church. And three years later, he wrote 1 Corinthians to the church in Corinth. After he wrote that letter, um, he visited them again. And this visit was a painful visit. And the reason it was a painful visit is because the people in the church of Corinth were asking these kind of questions. Hey, hey, Paul, how's come there's so much suffering in your life? Like, if you're really following Jesus and all that, like, if you're really speaking for God, why, do you, why are you always getting beaten up? Like, what's that all about, buddy? Um, hey, Paul, why, why is your preaching so dull? I mean, you know... I'm just saying, when Gary's on, he brings it. I mean, I am inspired, like, at least until Monday afternoon. Like, with you, it's like, what? You know, and, and we know that this complaint was true because in Acts 20, Eutychus falls asleep in a window listening to <laughs> Paul, <laughs> okay? This is a legit gripe. Hey, Paul, how's come you change your plans so much? I mean, if the Lord's directing your steps, like I'm gonna come, oh wait, now I can't come, God wants me to go to Traz next, like what is that? Like is God directing your steps or not? And so Paul spends a very painful visit with them and then he writes them a letter after he's left and this letter was harsh. This letter is lost, we don't have it. And so several years after that, after he and the, so he has this painful visit, he writes them this harsh letter, and the people in Corinth go, okay, I guess you're legit. We'll quit following Gary and all the other super apostles. We'll let you lead us. And then Paul writes them this letter, what we call 2 Corinthians, but what is really 3 Corinthians, okay? So 2 Corinthians is the third letter that he writes to them. And in chapter 11, verses 16 to 33, Paul is making a case and he's saying, so, so what do I have to show for myself? Why should you listen to me? Why should you follow me? Well, here's my credentials. And what Paul says in these verses is stunning. It's not what you would expect. It's not what you would expect at all. All right, so 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 16 to 18. Again, I say, I don't think I'm a fool to talk like this, but even if you do, listen to me as you would a foolish person while I boast a little. Such boasting is not from the Lord, but I'm acting like a fool, and, and since others boast about their human achievements, I will too. So he's saying, look, Jesus Christ is not about boasting. 
okay? And I really don't want to play this one-upsman game where you go, I've visited 10 towns, and I have to go, well, I visited 100, and where you say, well, I know the governor, and I say, I know the president. Like, I don't want to have to do that kind of throwdown with you because it's not really the way Jesus rolls. It's not really a characteristic of a Christian. And so he goes on, and that's verses 19 and following, and let me get that up there for you, all right? After all, you think you're so wise, but you enjoy putting up with fools. You put up with it when someone enslaves you, takes everything you have, takes advantage of you, takes control of everything, and slaps you in the face. I'm ashamed to say that we've been too weak to do that to you. In essence, what Paul is saying is, I was too weak to enslave you, take your money, and abuse you. Shame on me you can kind of hear the sarcasm a little bit in these two verses, can't you? All right? The super apostles were taking advantage of the Corinthian believers. Uh, the Corinthian believers paid their way. The super apostles were living off their gifts. And then the super apostles were like, well, you gotta do this and not that, and, and very particular about how they should obey and follow. All right, so Paul continues, and that's verses 21 and following. I'm ashamed to say that we've been too weak to do that, but whatever they dare to boast about, I'm talking like a fool again, I dare to boast about it too. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they descendants of Abraham? So am I. So these super apostles were laying out a claim and they were saying, oh, we're from Jerusalem. Paul, he's from Tarsus. Now they didn't know that Paul was just born in Tarsus. He was actually raised in Jerusalem and schooled in Jerusalem. Right, so they're, they're making this claim. And so Paul's responding this and he's saying, look, if you're, if, if you're a Hebrew, if you've got the ethnic background, I've got the pure bloodline, baby. You're an Israelite, someone who does all the right things the right ways. I do all the right things the right ways, guys. You're from the seed of Abraham. You're, you're a covenant, part of God's covenant people. So am I, so am I. And this is his bragging about it in Philippians. Indeed, if others have reason for confidence in their efforts, I've more. I was circumcised when I was eight. I'm pure-blooded citizen of Israel, member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if ever there was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demanded the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so jealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without without fault, without flaw, okay? In essence, Paul is saying, top that. Oh wait, you can't. But I'm talking like a fool again. See, really, this is foolish talk. This kind of one-upsman thing is foolishness. It's not how Jesus rolls. It's not how I boast. And so I'm gonna really let you know what my credentials are now. And so in verses 23 and following, Paul pulls back the curtain of his life and allows us to see what he thinks are his real credentials. You wanna know why you should listen to me? You wanna know why you should follow me? Here are my credentials, here they are, verse 23 and following. Uh, and we'll pick it up right there. Are they, um, are they servants of Christ? I know I sound like a madman, but I have served him far more. I have worked harder, been put in prison more often, been whipped times without number, and faced death again and again. In other words, I've suffered. You wanna know why you should listen to me? You wanna know why you should follow me? I've suffered. 
Jesus himself said it, right? Look, I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves, so be shrewd as snakes and harmless as doves. But beware, beware, you'll be handed over to the courts and you'll be flogged. And Jesus says in John's, if the world hates you, remember, hated me first. Hated me, it's gonna hate you. It's how it goes, gang. And Paul is saying, you wanna know why you should listen to me? I've suffered. And he really draws it out. Verse 24, he says, five different times the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. So what they would do is they would tie someone between two posts and the scourger would be on a raised platform with the whip and the scourger would do one third of the lashings to the chest and then come around to the back and do two thirds of the lashings on the back. So at this point in his ministry, this has happened to him five times, five times, five times. So he has on his chest and back 195 scars, right? Which gives meaning to Galatians 6, 17 when he says, I bear the marks of Jesus Christ on my body. Take off my shirt, you'll see how I follow Jesus. Interestingly, too, he gets this because he's blaspheming, right? And we see in Acts, when Paul goes from town to town, where does Paul go first? He first preaches to the synagogue, the place where he's going to get his 39 lashes for saying what he's saying. He goes there first, right? And he goes on, he goes on. And that's verse uh, 24, he says this, Uh, three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked, once I spent a whole night and day adrift at sea. This this, uh, rod uh, is a Roman fasces. I I believe that's what it is. Um, It was a symbol of authority. You can see them. If you have a United States dime, it's on the back of a US dime, this symbol right here. Um, It was a symbol of authority but it was also used to beat people, right? And so sometimes they'd turn them upside down, sometimes they'd put them in stocks where their feet were like this, uh, where their legs were constricted and their feet stuck out, and they would beat the feet until they broke your feet, beating you with rods. And so when Paul says in Romans, when he's quoting Isaiah, he says what? How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Are you beginning to see how Paul connects things in his writings and what he means when he says what he says these things? Um, Of course, uh, shipwrecked. At this point, he had done nine sea journeys. Three of them had resulted in shipwreck. So Paul had a 33% chance of his boat going down. How many, how many of you wanna take a voyage on the sea with our friend Paul? Anyone, anyone? No, those aren't good odds. Now we know why John Mark was like, see ya, buddy. (laughs) Okay, I'm out of here, Paul. All right? And so, and he says, I was stoned. He is not, this isn't like Gatewood Galbraith, you know, legalized marijuana. He means they threw rocks at me. Okay, I just want to clarify for the younger people. Okay, stoned here does not mean high on marijuana. Means they threw rocks at him and he lived. All right? And then he goes on. uh, And this is verses 26 and following. 
He says this, I've traveled on many long journeys. I have faced danger from rivers and robbers. I faced danger from my own people, the Jews, as well as from the Gentiles. I have faced danger in the cities, in the deserts, and on the seas. And I have faced uh, danger from men who claim to be believers, but are not. I've worked hard and long, enduring many sleepless nights. I've been hungry and thirsty and have gone without food. I've shivered in the cold without enough clothing to keep me warm. Remember, true leadership is about the benefit of other people and is unimpressive. In 2 Timothy, Paul says to Timothy, hey, when you come, I want you to bring my coat from Carpus. Why would Paul say that? He's cold. Why does he not have his coat? Because Carpus was cold. Are you beginning to see Paul in a different light today? And, and this is like a giant parody of Caesar's regeste. This is what Caesar says, and you, and you gotta have it in the voice of, an, of a you know, British actor, right? <clears throat> I have six letters from prominent people in Athens and Rome who extol my virtues. Three times I have spoken before imperial legates. Once I was received by Pompey. Twice I have received honoraria beyond my peers. In every quarter I am esteemed. Oh, Caesar. And so Paul in these verses is almost parroting what Caesar says about why you should listen to him. Okay? Again, true leadership is unimpressive. And yet he goes on. Then besides all of this, verse 28, I have the daily burden of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak without me not feeling that weakness? Who is led astray and I do not burn with anger? As a pastor in a small way, I get what he says, right? Uh, you feel it. When someone's hurting, you hurt for them, for what they're facing. Uh, when someone's snared away, uh, by sin or by deception and walks away from Jesus, you're, you're ferocious about it. And Paul is saying, look, I care for them. I hurt for them. Now, today in ministry circles, I'll hear people say something like this. Well, you know, I, at first church, I'm gonna be the consummate professional. I will provide care, but I will not care because I don't want them to get to my heart and I don't want to be hurt in that way. And I've just never been able to bring myself to get to that point because I look at it and I go, Jesus cared, Paul cared. Like, how can you be a good shepherd and not care? So he continues on, verse 30 and following. If I must boast, I would rather boast about the things that show how weak I am. God, the Father of our Lord Jesus, who is worthy of eternal praise, knows I'm not lying when I was in Damascus, the governor under King Aratus kept guards at the city gates to catch me, and I had to be lowered in a basket through a window in the city wall to escape from him. Paul is saying, you want a picture for my life post-Jesus? It's Damascus. On my way there, I had my papers. I was a man of authority. I had guards with me. I could imprison people. I was somebody. But then I encountered Jesus, 
And when I left Damascus, I'm lowered in a basket that still reeks of fish that it could, that it could contain the day before. And I'm lowered down like a common criminal. He's really making a case. God's strength is displayed through Paul's weakness. So let me add, in light of these verses from 2 Corinthians 11, what truly impresses you? Is it, is it accomplishments and results? Is it talent that's not matched anywhere in the state or the nation? What truly impresses you? What kind of leader are you willing to follow? If you're gonna follow someone, I wanna suggest to you that you wanna follow someone who's walking in the way of Jesus. Jesus is the good shepherd. A good shepherd will lay down his or her life for their sheep. A bad shepherd is gonna eat the sheep. <laughs> you don't wanna be hanging around bad shepherds. They will eat you. So what can you and I do that, with this? Let me ask one more question though. Is it possible, is it possible God is wanting you to trust him because of your weakness. That relationship, that thing, that illness, is it possible that God is wanting to do something more than you could do in your own strength or power? I have a front row seat to this. The pastor that my wife's uh, parents' church called to be their pastor, uh, he came from a church of 800 to a church of 100. He was an upwardly mobile pastor. And then after he had been there five or 10 years, he, had been, he was diagnosed with a nerve disorder. And so uh, he had to use a walker to preach. And he'd get up and preach his sermon. Well, then eventually he was in the Stephen Hawking, you know. <laughs> and they had, to, they had to take a week between Sundays and build a ramp to, so that he could get up there and preach. And you know, as it wore on, he went from preaching four times a month to three times a month to two times a month to once a month. And do you know his little mini Bible college is like in 35 different nations. There are people that, because they can't go to a school where they pay money to get a degree, will go through the mini Bible college so that they're biblically grounded. 35 different nations. You'll never know his name. He's not famous but God did some big things through his weakness, okay? So how can you and I walk this out? If you say, I wanna lead, you can, you can spend a lot of time on competence. You can get better at better at a skill. You can become a more effective teacher, banker, preacher, communicator. I mean, you can get better and better at the craft, and I'm not telling you you should always be mediocre, but if you want to lead with Team Jesus, character is, where it, character is where it's at. And that's your heart. Is my heart divided? Is my heart yielded to Jesus? Is my heart malleable? How's your heart? The second thing is, well, what do I do with my weakness? Can I just ask you to be utterly un-American be utterly un-American about it. Admit it. This was the hardest thing for me in my adult life because I'm a recovering OCD perfectionist and if I can do things right, buddy, I can do them right. But I had to get to a point where I was like, Max Vanderpool, you have flaws. <laughs> Max Vanderpool, you have weaknesses. Listen to your wife. She speaks the truth. <laughs> she speaks the truth. 
okay? Second thing, be grateful for them. God's power is displayed in human weakness. Cover to cover, God does not pick the Caesars, the intelligent, the rich, the powerful, Gideon, I could go down a long list of people in the Bible, the disciples, where is Jesus born? Like person after person after person. It's weak, it's insignificant, and God does something amazing. Um, So be grateful for it. And then third, this is key in America. Americans don't like to do this. Openly share it. I really stink at X. If you lead in an organization, if you actually get up the courage to say, hey gang, gather around, gather around, I just want you to know I suck at follow through. Do you know what the people on your team are gonna think to themselves? Oh, thank God, he knows, she knows. Like we don't have to have that meeting where we pull them aside and go, you know. <laughs> like they, it's a giant relief because you're just acknowledging reality, <laughs> okay? It's a tremendously freeing thing. All right, so again, true leadership is unimpressive, but is always for the benefit of others. False leadership, false leadership will wow you like no tomorrow, but at the end of the day, is self-serving. I want you to have true leadership, follow true leadership, and be true leadership.